0: Well, Phil, that was uh, Kimberly Braun. Uh, You know, it's always very interesting to talk to somebody who uh, makes a commitment where they actually go into a monastery. And in the Western world, I don't think there's a more cloistered situation than uh, the Carmelites have, especially the Mm. women. And, uh, you know, to leave after 10 and a half years uh, takes a lot of strength. But it sounds like her decision to go in and her decision to leave was very simple and didn't need a lot of reflection. There was no second uh, thoughts about it, which I think that's very unusual.
1: Probably so. She she didn't give the impression that she agonized over the decision to leave, and it sounds like the decision to go in in the first place was quite natural for her. I suppose that's rare, but I don't I don't know enough.
0: Right. It, it's interesting. A couple of things that that. Uh, uh, Came out was uh, well. First of all, I thought she was uh, a very sincere, uh, obviously somebody that has had significant internal experiences since they're young, uh, very strong in herself, you know. And, and I think that takes a lot of inner strength to to go through what she went through. And you pointed out she didn't go in at, at seventeen or eighteen, which is what I originally thought. She went in at twenty-four when she's had life yeah. experiences. She did dating. She was looking. She said if she had met somebody spiritual, it would have been very different for her. So, uh, you know, she, she went in and, and, and came out, uh,
1: two things. You know, I just want to reflect on that a moment. I, I don't know enough about, uh, Catholic monastic orders, but, um, the impression I have is, um, they're very rigorous in who they accept and who they don't. And I, I know that at least some of the Swami orders that uh, in the Hindu tradition that I'm familiar with, um, they're also very rigorous and they don't want people coming in, you know, on a whim. They, they put them through a lot. And, and, and in some cases, they, um, they won't take anybody uh, if they're too, uh, at a very young age. They, they want them to have some life experience and to, to um, know what they're giving up. And, and be comfortable with
0: it. Right, I, I, absolutely. And I know, like with the Catholic Trappist monks, and as I, I mentioned, I'd spent some time at St. Joseph's Monastery, St. Joseph's Abbey in Spencer, Massachusetts, not living as a monastic, but just visiting there. We used to teach courses in mm-hmm. TM there. And uh, I think it's even, a, it's like a 10 or 12-year program before you can take final vows, and they really screen people. And when I was there, I met two Catholic priests one of them um, was teaching at uh, a university and the other uh, was also a teacher, at, I think in a high school, and they both decided they wanted to see if monasticism was for them, and they had both been in there for a year. One guy decided it wasn't, and the other guy wanted to continue to pursue it. But even amongst priests, you can't just go in and say, hey, I'll join. I think for the men, there's more flexibility. The Catholic Church is notoriously sexist, and uh, and... In the monastic orders, the women have much less uh, flexibility in terms of what they can do. Like she mentioned, there were a number of things she uh, she brought up to them that she thought might be a good idea, and uh, they were generally shot down. We don't do things that way. This is the way it is. And and I guess if you're all in and you love it, it's great. If you're not, it ain't so great. And, and I think also, uh, just like many other spiritual groups, Once you're in, if you try to leave, uh, a lot of the people, uh, you know, and very sincerely will try to convince you you're doing something awful.
1: Yeah, um, I'm sure that's true. They want to make sure people who enter are doing it for the right reasons. And they probably want to make sure the people who leave are doing it for the right reasons and not just, you know, they miss their family or, you know, they just... going through a rough patch or, you know, the life, the, the life is difficult. So right. they, you know, and they probably want people, uh, they don't want anybody to stay if, 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 uh, they're faking it or right. it's not, right. it's not right for them. I, I can't speak for all the groups, but I, I've spoken to a number of people who have left, uh, Hindu, uh, monastic orders. And, you know, it's not that they try in those cases, they're not trying to keep them in, uh, just to, you know, sort of keep the numbers up or, or something, but they, they just want to make sure they're making the right choice. And so they counsel them. Right. And, um, and, you know, I'm sure in some cases they, they will, um, uh, exert some kind of, uh, or try to exert some influence to keep them there.
0: Yeah. No, listen, uh, I, I can relate. I mean, I was on, Meditation courses for months at a time, and and I on one particular course after a couple of months or a month or so, I thought, you know, I've had enough of this. I think I, I, I meditated out. I don't, and 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 even leaving that course, uh, you know, there was I was really encouraged not to, and probably it's not a good idea, and this and that, and I'm sure the people that say that are very sincere, but it's a slippery slope that can also uh, be somewhat dangerous, and and in some of these monasteries one could argue that they become very cultish. Not always, yeah. uh, but that, that, that uh, possibility is there. And uh, so it's, it, but it, if you speak to very mature, sort of uh, highly regarded uh, monks like uh, Thomas Keating, those guys uh, and gals at that level tend to be the, the most flexible and most ecumenical and looking at different traditions and different, even lifestyles within the monastery, I think.
1: Yeah, Um, look, it's not for everybody. Um, The history of of people entering um, is, I don't know what the numbers are of how many people stay, but I'll bet there are an awful lot of people who stay because they come to a point when they realize that they're no longer cut out for it, or it doesn't fit anymore, but they don't know what else to do. Right. That's all, that's all they've known. Or they feel guilty, like they're betraying God. So, right, right. I mean, from, I've heard from people that there are a lot of monastics who who really are a bad fit, but they, they just stick it out. Um, uh, you know, there's no reason why people shouldn't go through changes in their lives and and what might, a commitment that might be right for a certain stage of life, you know, might uh, no longer be at a later stage and vice versa. You know, there's a lot of people who, uh, you know, traditionally in, you know, the Hindu uh, culture, after you've lived the life of a householder, you know, the final stage of life, you essentially become a monk or a nun. Mm You 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 know you 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 do that at the as as part of your spiritual evolution.
0: You yeah, know, I, I agree. I mean, imagine you're you're a monk for twenty five years, and then you say, "Well, even her ten and a half years, I'm going to go." It's shocking. I mean, where do you go? What do you do? Uh, right. Uh, you know, right. How, how do you adjust to that? So there, I'm sure there are people that stay because in any walk of life, because it's just it's not the right fit, but it's more comfortable than anything else. Yeah and, and uh I'm, yep
1: it's hard enough for people to change occupations you know from one worldly uh, career to another to to go from a monastery where you may not have many skills you mm-hmm. know maybe maybe you worked in the kitchen or the right. garden or something but right. you know and, and i'm sure it's, it's totally intimidating right. and right. and scary but she obviously has um Negotiated the whole transition very well. And because she's cut out to be a spiritual teacher, she's able to draw on her, her expertise, you know, th- that she acquired as a nun. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah, I know.
0: I mean, in in this 70s, 80s, 90s, to this day, there was a period of time when <clears throat> a lot of men, especially and nuns, men, the priests and nuns left the Catholic Church for a variety of reasons. And uh, you hear many stories about uh, the difficulties in making adjustments. Uh, for them. Uh, uh, but, but people do survive. They do get through it. They do make those transitions. Uh, I, I think it's also, uh, w- what it was fascinating to me was the lifestyle they lived in the monastery and that rhythm. With the, she said they, I don't know when they went to bed, but they got up at midnight, did yeah. prayers for an hour. Wow. Then they went to sleep till 5.30. And they got up again and prayed. And if you caught it, she said, if you're there a certain period of time and you're sort of, I guess, fully uh, vested like, you know, you're, you're, you, you've done your four and a half years. You've taken final vows. Then you get an hour of free time. Yes, a day I where I think it. you can talk. I, and it's I, like, it's like w- w- to us, this is like, God, how could anybody do that? It's like a punishment. But I guess, and you know, we've been on enough <laughs> meditation courses ourselves. Once you get into a routine of being very inward, then I'm sure for a lot of those people, it's extremely comfortable and they love that. And it sounds like that was her experience for quite a while until yeah. she got that impulse to move on. And I, she didn't mention it so much in our interview, but I read about her a bit. And you see, she was asked to go to Texas to a smaller monastery from North Dakota. And uh, and I got to think it's a lot warmer in Texas. And <laughs> yeah. so she was down there, and then uh, they had the thought, or she had the thought to build a monastery. So for a few years, she was very involved in that project. And I, I'll bet that brought her more outward and more thinking about you know, other, other ways to live rather than, uh, in the monastery.
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of, it, 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 a lot of monks and nuns are, they may be living in a, a group, you know, sort of, uh, disciplined communal setting, but they are very busy people. Mm-hmm. Some some of them are doing service work out in the world, alleviating poverty, or or running a school, or whatever. Uh, or they're just busy in the monastery, you know, uh, making making wine or growing uh, vegetables or washing dishes or whatever it is they do. Uh, so some of them are very work oriented. I know that in the Hindu monastic tradition, mm-hmm. a lot of them are very calm. There's a karma yoga component where they're, you know, they're working. But in all the Uh,
0: Trappist monasteries, there's some product, whether it's jam or, or or coffins. Yeah, I I mean, I I know two that do that. They're producing something that they sell that helps sustain the facility.
1: Actually, I just heard uh, just yesterday on a on a radio show about a a a monastic order in the U.S. that was making a printer ink. Oh really. Ink cartridge, yeah, it didn't work out, but they did for a while. <laughs> I, I
0: don't know, if they the high-tech, you know, that's pretty, uh, and and uh, I also want to mention that, you know, I think it's great what she's doing now. She's basically taking the tools that she got in a monastery and sharing them with people in the world, which is, you know, the trait that a lot of uh, 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 gurus and teachers from the East brought to the West. They not only brought a philosophy but they also brought tools for people to use in day-to-day living. And Mm -hmm. certainly you get into this stuff in great detail in your book, American Veda. But uh, uh, yeah, this is also, I think to a larger degree, it came from the East, but there were these traditions uh, right within our own culture that had uh, tools as well. But I think for a long time they were never shared, Uh, but now uh, there's a more openness to do that. And she's doing it. Uh, as a secular person now, not as part of the church or whatever, but I think it 's a great service she 's providing
1: yeah, and you know one of the things I discovered in, in researching American Vedas is a lot of people uh, legitimately were drawn to uh, the sannyasi life, you know the the mm-hmm. uh, reclusive life uh, when they first got on the spiritual path and they wanted to be like their guru, and you know they the, the the assumption was that that's the faster route mm-hmm. to, to to enlightenment than being a householder, and that you could mm-hmm. devote yourself completely to to your spiritual life, and that it was very appealing. Uh, but, but then, you know, a, a whole lot of them uh, ended up, you know, leaving
0: right. because
1: you know they got into their 30s or whatever, and they realized they were really cut out to be householders. Very right. few, very few people are, uh, you know, cut right, out.
0: Right, right. In the in, uh, Catholic Church, about when it came to priests or nuns, there was a saying, many are called, but few are chosen, which meant That's, a lot of people yeah. felt the tendency. Uh, a recent guest of ours, Paul Mueller Ortega, mm-hmm. gets uh, into from, uh, you know, Indian philosophy, uh, Hindu philosophy, that uh, the, if you look at it closely, that, there's just as much writing and legitimacy to people of the world, householders. Oh, yeah. Higher states of consciousness as there is to monastics. And uh, uh, that sometimes is both in the East and West has been a misunderstanding. Yeah.
1: And, and you know, I I actually have met a couple of swamis who said um, the householder life is advantageous, right. you know, right. because you but, you know, I it's just all a question of what is suitable for, for the individual, you know, so.
0: There you go. Well, Kimberly, there you, go. you know, I'm
1: doing, I'm doing the biography of Yogananda and you know, people may not realize it, but his guru and his guru's guru were householders. Oh, is that
0: right? I didn't know that.
1: Yes. Really? And um, yeah. And well, his guru would, had been a householder and then took vows after his wife died and his kid grew up. Um, but, yeah, they they were uh, Lahiri Mahasya was a householder and stayed one, you know, after his own illumination and he started being a teacher. Uh, mm-hmm. And so was Sri Yukteswar.
0: How How is that book coming along? Are you making all the uh, deadlines that your publisher is setting? Um, I will take the fifth on that. <laughs> <laughs> refuse to answer yeah it's special nobody can get uh but we wish you all well in that book and, uh, and uh, for those listeners that aren't familiar with what fills up to an addition to this show he's uh, uh, writing a biography of parma mahatsa Yogananda that we're all looking forward to and yeah well some people soon
1: some people may be listening to this after it's published in 2018
0: there you go okay uh, great till next time and please uh, Email us, go to our our website, spiritmatterstalk.com, get the latest information, listen to past interviews, and uh, send us any requests or ideas that you have. Uh, Until next time, Phil.
1: Okay. Bye.